All right, welcome in to today's episode of Southeast Podcast. It is Thursday, July the 20th, 2017. And as I've discussed the past couple days, today is a special mailbag episode of the podcast where you send in your questions on SEC basketball and we discuss here on the show. Uh, As always, you guys come through with some really great questions this time around and we'll continue to do this here throughout the offseason and certainly once we get into the season as well. Uh, But to go ahead and dive into the questions here, we have several. Uh, Let's go ahead and start with the very first question. And that is from Andrew Terry, guy who always uh, is fun to interact with on Twitter. And Andrew is at Terry 65 Andrew asked, do you have a favorite college team? Well, here's the thing. I mean, obviously, as I'm doing what I do, I don't really, you know, try to sit around and yell and scream for teams and do all that. But, um, you know, obviously, I support the SEC. I just think that's something that... I've always done, and growing up in Nashville, my, my family was a lot of big Vanderbilt fans and had some Tennessee fans in there as well, obviously. Uh, my family actually had Vanderbilt season tickets in basketball forever, so got to see a ton of SEC games throughout the years um, and really just see a, a ton of great teams come through here, specifically uh, in Nashville. You know, you talk about those Kentucky teams in the mid-'90s, and, you know, there were a lot of good guys, obviously, that came through here as well. Um, I can remember some of those, you know, Alabama teams, Antonio McDyess, those teams like that, the Mississippi State team that made it to the Final Four. So many great teams that, that really just have come through here. And, and so certainly being around Nashville, uh, you know, the place I've been the most to see basketball games has been at Vanderbilt, um, you know, again, because of location. And, and certainly my family is – if you ever met them, boy, their their loyalty for for Vanderbilt and the ones that are have loyalty for Tennessee, uh, it's it's certainly something else. But um, but no, I mean you know again, I'm I'm just someone I think that just enjoys the game. I mean, I, I basketball has always been my number one. I've covered a lot of different sports: basketball, football, baseball. But basketball has always been uh, you know the one that that I've kind of you know attracted to the most. I did some coaching as well. So it's um, it, it's a lot of fun. But, um, Andrew, I would ask you who your favorite team is, but let me just tell you, I already know, uh, so no need to ask you there. But moving on to the next question, uh, that is from Jerry Stigall at Jerry Stigall, S-T-I-G-A-L-L. Uh, Jerry asked if you got any news from the Vandy practices. You know, Jerry, um, you know, I did the podcast a couple days ago now with Chris and David over at VandySports.com. And we were kind of talking about this Vandy team and kind of just the consensus right now on where they're at in terms of offseason heading into the season. One of the things I you know I know that Bryce Drew has talked about is talking about the front court specifically because that's where we're all going to look around and say, okay, that's where the questions are um, with Vanderbilt. Where Where is the replacement for Luke Cornett? And there's not a replacement for Luke Cornett. I mean, no one's going to be able to have – that kind of skill set and do the exact same things that he did. But I think that Bryce Drew is very kind of, you know, optimistic about these other guys that they have there. When you talk about Jerry Baptiste, Educate Obena, uh, and certainly Cleavon Brown, which is someone, like I've said before, that David has talked a lot about 
in that that coaching staff there just really is high on Cleavon Brown's potential and his ability to step in. And we didn't get to see a whole lot of him last year because, you know, he wasn't needed necessarily in a lot of different spots. He was a freshman still adjusting to, to certain parts of the game. We always talk about the speed of the game with a lot of these freshmen. Um, and so still adjusting. But I do think, you know, we know where they're going to be rock solid at. And that's when you talk about guys like LaChance, Fisher Davis, Jeff Roberson, Joe Toys back, Larry Austin stepping in uh, at the point. So they have a lot of options, I think, in the on the wing and all that. I think now it's just a matter of, you know, are they going to have that kind of optimism when it comes to the front court guys? And I think right now they're they're happy with the toughness of the big guys and really just kind of learning different tendencies of the game that will hopefully help them there going forward. So thanks as always, Jerry. Always appreciate the question. Uh, and our next question comes from dmax33112 on Twitter. He asks, who do you think the starting five will be for Auburn this season and why? Well, I mean, I think when you look at this Auburn roster, it seems pretty clear who four of the five guys are going to be. I think Jared Harper is going to be the point guard. Uh, Mustafa Heron is going to be the shooting guard. Dan J.L. Purifoy is going to be a forward. Uh, small forward specifically and then Austin Wiley is going to be the center and, and specifically when you look at that you know nucleus there those four guys who were their top four scores last year as freshmen um, the, the biggest key I think in, in that grouping is when you see Heron be able to move back to shooting guard uh, Purifoy is going to move back to small forward and Bruce Pearl's talked about that a lot this offseason getting those two guys back at their natural position we look back at last year, there was a lot of shuffling guys out of position due to injuries and other factors. So getting those guys back in those roles, I think, where kind of Bruce Pearl feels like they're going to be their most productive is the most important part uh, of Auburn coming into this season. And then when you add in another guy, you know, that's where he has options. And I think if he wants to go with a smaller perimeter-based group, he can do that. If he wants to go with a larger group, Let's say you add in a guy like Cora Spencer, who a lot of people, you know, have to remember, you know, missed a lot of time. He didn't play from February and beyond last year uh, due to injury. So if he gets back in the rotation, is able to give them some length in there at 6'8", a guy who can contest shots on the defensive end of the floor, which, you know, you think about him and Wiley in the paint being able to kind of prevent scoring on that end of the floor, which we already know, you know, improving the defense is going to be the biggest element for Auburn's success this year. If they're going to be an NCAA tournament team, they have to be significantly better on the defensive end of the floor. Now, that's one option, but I think when you look at the other guys they have as well, I mean, you know, to me, Deshaun Murray is the most intriguing addition on this Auburn roster because he's a guy who comes over as a transfer, sitting out from Presbyterian, uh, led the Big South in scoring, uh, you know, a 20-point-per-game score when he was there. And so adding that extra scoring element as well, as long as it's there on the defensive end of the floor, you know, he can play out on the wing. He can do a lot of different things. Bruce Pearl loves his toughness. And so, you know, a guy at 6'3", what he is, certainly not, a, you know, a huge guy, but I think with his kind of, you know, the way his game is, he's going to have an opportunity uh, to play a lot of minutes, I think. And he's, the to me, the, the most intriguing guy, like I said, the, the biggest addition on this roster because I think he's going to have a lot of chances uh, to really make an impact there. But then you look beyond that, I mean, look, they have Chumo Kiki, a very good freshman, a guy who was impressing a lot of people at the U19 camp before he got injured. Uh, you know, we also have to remember they, they still have Anthony McLemore in there as a forward at 6'7". 
uh, who could certainly be able to, to factor in play minutes. Malik Dunbar comes over as a transfer, a Juco guy. Uh, he's a guard slash forward type of guy at 6'6". So Auburn has depth at a lot of different positions. And so when we talk about that, I mean, you know, we're not even adding the other guards in there in the backcourt as well. Bryce Brown, Davion Mitchell. Uh, you know, Bruce Pearl loves Davion Mitchell's defensive ability. And so uh, it's just there's so many ways he could go with this lineup. And I think having that versatility is huge for Auburn, especially if they can get the lineup on the floor that's going to give them the best chance on the defensive end because they have enough offensive weapons. I don't Offense is not going to be a problem for Auburn this year. It's just if they can find the right five to give them that consistency on defense – and that's why, you know, Auburn can be an NCAA tournament team this season. So to me, though, I really like that Harper, Heron, Purifoy, uh, Deshaun Murray, Wiley type of, you know, five, because I think there's so much flexibility in there in being able to, to really play, you know, guys in different positions uh, and really give them a chance to succeed. So, but we'll see how it all turns out. Like I said, it's all a matter of, you know, how people develop in the offseason and kind of where they find the right chemistry in certain places. So uh, thanks for the question. Really good one. Appreciate it. Next question is from Jacob Varner, 14, at Jacob Varner, 14, uh, on Twitter, and Jacob, another Auburn guy, uh, but he asked specifically about Mississippi State. He says, is Mississippi State up to something more fishy than normal basketball recruiting with their recruitment of Reggie Perry, in my opinion? Well, you know, Jacob, I think at this point, here's the deal. I mean, we look back at, at what Ben Howland has done throughout his career, and he's always gotten really good players. And, you know, at Mississippi State, I think one of the things is almost like people have thought that they would be further along at this point because of all the good players he's been able to get in there. He's been able to get, you know, really talented players, uh, you know, highly coveted freshman type of guys into the program pretty much everywhere that he's been, especially when you talk about the, the experience, the youth there at Mississippi State. They've always had that youth uh, because they've always had young players that are really, really good. Uh, and I think people have to remember with this, too, you know, decommitting from Arkansas was certainly something that caught a lot of people off guard. Uh, but his dad did play at Mississippi State. Um, and so that's something to keep in mind as well. Uh, Al Perry was there. Um, and, you know, so so in that regard, that's not something that should really, you know, catch anyone off guard. I mean, he played there in the mid-70s. Um, and and kind of I think what happened was, look, I mean, you look at what um, – you look at what Mississippi State lost with the transfer of Mario Keckler. I mean, he's a guy that they were really planning on counting on in a massive role this year on that team. And now you get a guy like that out that opens up a spot in the future in terms of being able to try to find a guy that can come in, be an impact player, and certainly Perry, someone that, you know, when he was at Arkansas, when he thought he was going to Arkansas, immediately you said, you know, he's going to be an impact player. And I think he's going to be an impact player for Mississippi State. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see. A lot of young talent still there. We talk about Nick Weatherspoon coming in as well. Um, and so th- there's a lot of young talent they're going to have there in the past couple of years. It's just about getting that, you know, getting over that hump, I think, for Mississippi State, being able to turn that youth into, you know, experience and, and wins, you know, late in the season because they lost a lot of close games last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. But thanks as always, Jacob. Appreciate the question. All right, next question is from Robert Jones, and he is on Twitter, at JonesRJ1200. And Robert asks, what are your thoughts on Arkansas's backcourt? Uh, Look, I mean, here's what we know with Arkansas. What we know 100% sure is that Daryl Macon and Jalen Barford coming back 
were, were certainly a, just a massive boost for Mike Anderson and getting those guys back. I mean, you talk about what would have been, you know, had those two guys potentially left. You also lose Dusty Hannes, Moses Kingsley. Uh, that would have been, you know, it would have been rough. But now that those two are back, they are certainly the guys who can anchor, you know, the, the play on the wing. That They can anchor what Arkansas is going to do. Everything will go through them uh, in terms of what they try to do, both on offense and on defense. I mean, we think about kind of the style of play that, that Mike Anderson wants to play. Those are your guys. We all know that. Now, the question becomes, what else is going to happen around them? And I think that's the concern when you see a lot of these people. You know, there are some people that have Arkansas lower, some people that have Arkansas higher in terms of their outlook for the Razorbacks this upcoming season. Uh, I'm someone, admittedly, that's gone back and forth on whether, you know, I think Arkansas is a team that could be in that top four or they could could they be a team that kind of hovers around that 7-8 mark. Uh, because I do think when you look at everything else around them, there are, are, are obvious questions, I think, just because in terms of, you know, production. Yes, they have the experience. I mean, Arkansas, you know, experience-wise, they have a lot of seniors on that roster. And, you know, when you talk about their backcourt, um, you know, you've got Anton Beard back there. He's certainly going to be someone who's going to be expected to play an even larger role. Last year, played 21 minutes a game. He scored seven points a game. Um, and he's someone, again, who's going to have a larger role on this team. Um, and then you look at everybody else kind of around that mark in the backcourt, and I think that's where you're seeing people that look around and say, okay, what else is in the backcourt? What's going to be sort of the big question there when we talk about the wing play uh, for Arkansas? You know, Khalil Garland's going to come in as a freshman, kid from Little Rock. Um, you know, how is he going to factor into the mix? What's his minutes going to be rotation-wise? Um, and, you know, and then there are other guys as well that I think are going to have an opportunity to step up and try to take a step forward in that backcourt. But we know, again, we know the anchors are going to be uh, those two guys. And I think at this point, that's certainly going to be a strength for Arkansas. Um, and it's just a matter of, of seeing how these other guys develop. I think not only in the backcourt, but in the front court as well. How these guys develop uh, and, you know, and, get, and kind of push into those more extended roles where they're going to get more minutes because of guys like Hannah's uh, Kingsley gone, then I think we, we start to get a better feel of where Arkansas is going to land. But the potential is certainly there for Arkansas to be a very good team. It's just a matter of seeing what that development is going to be, you know, everywhere else pretty much because uh, we know Macon and Barford are going to be who they are and they will be two of the best players in the SEC. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate the question. And the next question comes from Mitchell Smiley at Mitchell Smiley, S-M-I-L-I-E. On Twitter, and Mitchell asks, is point guard a potential weakness for Kentucky in 2017-18? You know, Mitchell, and you know this, and I know a lot of people do as well, when you look at Kentucky's roster, certainly the strength is going to lie at the forward and center positions. Kevin Knox, Jared Vanderbilt, P.J. Washington, uh, Nick Richards, William Gabriel's back, Kalea Jones is back. Kentucky has depth there. But when you go to the backcourt, there are certainly going to be some initial questions in terms of what Kentucky is going to get uh, from the point guard position, specifically, as you asked, um, talking about Quad A Green, here's a freshman guy who's going to be, you know, most likely the guy that's going to get the start there, have an opportunity. He's a top 25 uh, recruit, according to 24-7 Sports. He, he's the fifth best point guard in this class 
Um, and, you know, I think everyone is, is going to also go into the, the, the situation where they compare. You know, is Quad A Green going to be De'Aaron Fox? Is, you know, is he going to be like these other guys who have come through Kentucky? And that's a question you ask every single year. Uh, but when you go into the season, here's what I think as well is, yeah, I mean, I think if you want to call that kind of a weakness, I think Kentucky shooting the ball it may be a bigger weakness in terms of how they are able to shoot from outside. If teams play more zone, which I think you'll see a lot of teams certainly try to do when you think about sort of the length and athleticism on this Kentucky roster, um, there's going to be a lot of people who try to play this team zone, make them shoot from outside. We saw that some last year as well. Um, and I, and I, do, I do think at point guard, you know, it's always a big concern, especially on teams like this, because the point guard is your leader on the floor. And when you have so much youth on the floor, like Kentucky's going to have, um, you know, it, it certainly it brings about some question marks. And is Quad A Green going to be able to step in there and, and sort of make everyone else better, get the ball where it needs to be? If Kentucky's struggling because you have so many young guys, is he going to be able to get everyone in the right spot? And I think that's always a concern you have. Again, when you have so much youth like John Calipari has every single season, that's a big question. And so it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that works out. I mean, Gildas Alexander's back there as well. Uh, he's a guy who will, will certainly probably, you know, figure into the rotation, get opportunities, uh, depending on kind of what happens there in the backcourt. So uh, that's something to watch out for with Kentucky. How are they able to shoot the ball uh, on a consistent basis from outside? Can they kind of, you know, can Green be the guy that gets everyone on the same page and really keep this Kentucky team flowing as they've done year after year? with all the freshmen that come in. Uh, so it, it will be interesting to see how that all works out. Thanks as always, Mitchell. Appreciate the question. The next question is from Brad Cavallaro. He's on Twitter, at BradCav2. Brad asks, how do you see the Tennessee backcourt shaking out? Do Darrington and Daniel bump Turner and Bowden to the bench? Really good question, Brad, because I think, you know, once again, this is the theme uh, of the SEC when we look around and we talk about all the potential options in the backcourt for a lot of these different teams. And when you look at what Tennessee now has going into the season, I mean, we talk about James Daniel. Here's a guy who, you know, led the nation in scoring a couple years ago at Howard. He's now in the mix. Uh, you have Darrington who comes in as a certainly a, a, a very good player at the JUCO level, uh, first-team All-American. He's another guy who knows how to score. Uh, and then you add that to the guys that are coming back. And we talk about Turner, uh, Bowden, and Bone. I mean, those three guys all, you know, played significant time for Tennessee last year. I mean, Turner played 21 minutes a game, averaged eight points. Bowden played 23 minutes a game, averaged eight points. And Bone played 20 minutes a game, averaged seven. So there you go in terms of Rick Barnes having flexibility in what he can do. With those spots there in the backcourt, I think it would be hard to keep Daniel off the floor. I mean, that's kind of what Tennessee needs right now in terms of added experience. Uh, you know, Daniel's going to be the only senior on the team. So he's going to have to be on the floor, I think, and he's someone who's still kind of battling through injury this offseason. Um, and I think after that, I mean, I think Bowden's going to be someone probably that's going to have to be on the floor as well. Uh, based on kind of his progress last year. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, where he kind of fits in in terms of the scoring load. How How is he going to progress there? Certainly had his, his chances last year. 
uh, to be an impact player for Tennessee. So having that veteran experience in the backcourt, I think is going to be very important. So that's why Daniel's going to have to be on the floor there, uh, in my opinion, uh, when you talk about that, because that's certainly an element they're going to need. Um, and then again, elsewhere, it, it just depends. I mean, that, that's where Barnes does have options, because I do think Daniel and Bowden will both be on the floor. It's just a matter of how, how do we want to use it? You know, what kind of lineups do you want to use? Well, Tennessee, you know, can certainly have a lineup where they play small as well, like we've talked about with other teams. Uh, Tennessee really has a chance to put a really good small lineup on the floor. Uh, and then, you know, how, how do their big guys progress? How do the young guys come in? How do the freshman guys factor in uh, to the lineup as well? So uh, certainly a good problem to have, I think, if you're Rick Barnes, because Tennessee wants to kind of climb up that ladder. We talked about last year, uh, they were very close to, to being, you know, a potential NCAA tournament team uh, when we didn't think they would be. And so can they continue that progression now that they've added pieces to the mix? When we talk about some talented freshmen, when we talk about guys like Daniel and Darrington, uh, how do they all factor into the mix? And that's what we're going to wait and see with uh, for the Vols. So thanks for the question, Brad. Appreciate it. And that'll do it for the mailbag episode of Southeast Tubes. And as I always say, I really appreciate you guys sending in these questions. Always makes for good discussion. And that's kind of what it's all about this time of year here throughout the summer is just good discussion on SEC basketball. And there are a lot of things I'm sure many of you uh, will agree with and many may, may disagree with. And that's okay because it's all about just getting a good discussion going. Uh, SEC basketball has now finally started to get more recognition. And that's kind of what we're continuing to do here on the Southeast Hoops podcast is to continue to talk about all these teams as we go through the summer and then get closer to the start of the season there in november so uh be sure you subscribe do that on itunes just search for southeast hoops you can get all the episodes sent as soon as they go up uh so that way you don't miss any of the sec basketball episodes and a lot more uh exciting stuff on the way here on the podcast Uh, we'll have more interviews uh, with people around the world of sec basketball and also touch on a lot of different stuff as we continue to roll along here so Thanks as always for listening to the podcast and I will talk to you guys tomorrow.